Looks like we got a studio edition of Connect This. A very special episode in which uh, I'm calling it the Chris is a shambles episode. I feel like the boot of life connected with my face. (laughs) I'm I'm congested. Gigi stepped down from the nomination. I lost a bet to Travis, which was double or nothing. So I owe him all of the wings for all of the time now. It's going to be it's going to be a hard episode. (laughs) But I'm glad to be spending it with y'all. Let me introduce first Kim. Kim McKinley, welcome. Thank you, thank you. Um, Chris, you didn't mention my new glasses. These are premiering today. Thank you. Thank Lovely. You Very nice. Now, I won't insult my co-host or my other participants today, Travis and Doug. Thank you. I was just going to say that. I was going to introduce you first to make sure they had a chance to to light into you as I do in their introductions. So let's bring what, out what Doug. What you guys about? I didn't hear anything. Did, did you, Doug? <laughs> I have no idea. You think Kim said something bad about us behind her back, Travis? I, she, she would never do that. I mean, I don't know how behind your back it was. Um, we got Doug Dawson from CCG Consulting. Welcome. Welcome to everyone. So it's good. Chris is a wreck today, and I'm happy today. So it averages out. So. And then we got Travis Carter, who's somewhere in the south where it may, it may or may not be snowing on him. I don't know. Well, 80 and sunny, and the good news for Kim is you guys must have been on, like, an LTE connection, so nobody saw anything anyway, so. <laughs> yeah, I think and Kim came right out. It was just like, we finally are doing this show without those two anchors. I don't know. <laughs> oh. Yeah. I, don't, I don't disagree with her, quite frankly. You know, I've always figured this is your Make-A-Wish program, Chris, so maybe, <laughs> you know, Doug and I are the recipients of your, your charity, so thank you. Well, I, I'm excited for the show, despite the fact that my head feels like it might just fall off my body at any second. Um, the uh, We got a number of things to cover. We're going to go over uh, a couple of things that Doug's written about on his uh, blog. We're going to talk about Gigi Sohn and the future of the FCC. We've got a special guest who I've worked with for many years. H. Trosel is going to be joining us to talk about the Federal Reserve Bank's um, we're going to talk some about why Travis isn't getting money from Wisconsin for broadband subsidies anymore. Um, maybe one or two of those things won't even happen because we don't have enough time. Who knows? Um, but before we get there, I wanted to plug something that we announced last week at Net Inclusion, and that is our new ACP dashboard. We are tracking the uh, ACP dashboard. Um, uh, we are tracking the ACP, the Affordable Connectivity Program, with a dashboard. And new on the dashboard is that it works better on mobile now, and we have a congressional district map. So if you are curious how much is going to a specific congressional district, which you might want to know so you can tell that congressperson they should put more freaking money into it before we run out and have a big problem with tens of millions of homes. Um, and then we also have a new eligibility model, which uh, allows us to have the, the number of people that are eligible lines up more with estimates that other people have had, because turns out nobody really knows anything about this stuff. When you get to, when you get to tens and hundreds of millions of people, it is hard to count them. So, um, you can read more about it at acp-board.com and, um, that is something we're very excited about. Other people at net inclusion were very excited about it. Um, which brings up our first topic, which I'll come right after this, which is to say that Kim and I are going to be at Broadband Communities in Houston, May 1 through 4 or something like that. Mm-hmm. And it's going to be a really fun show. We're probably going to do a live connect this there. And now that Doug and Travis know they'll be insulted if they don't show up, maybe there'll be more of an impetus to come. 
Oh, I can take it. I can take it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but let's start off Net Inclusion, the the event uh, that National Digital Inclusion Alliance has every year. Uh, had drew 800 people, the vast majority of which had not been to a previous event. People are flocking to the broadband field. And uh, Kim, you had an observation. You joined me there. Yeah, I think the observation I had is that there's a huge disconnect between what the broadband folks are doing and what the net inclusion people view it as. And you told me to figure out a uh, example before we came on air. So this is the example that I see all the time is you see some of these systems coming out with all this demand aggregation software of saying, where should these network operators build to make the ROI on their network <clears throat> work, right? But if you do that, the people who are gonna do the demand aggregation are usually not the ones who are most in need. Right. And so the net inclusion folks want to build where the you see the poverty rates, the highest, the ones without lack um, that have lack of devices. Those two things do, like don't correlate at all. So it's like, we, how do you fix this bridge or put a bridge between the two organizations, broadband and net inclusion or the I don't know. So it's up to you, smart people to figure that out. Well, I think actually, to some extent, we'll talk about that a bit regarding the Federal Reserve Bank discussion, I think, because they're working on this as a priority, too. We'll discuss more of that. Um, but, Doug, you had a reaction as well in terms of the the difference between your sort of typical net inclusion attendee and your typical attendee of one of the, um, let's just say, more... Uh, extravagant broadband communities um, uh, conferences or other broadband circuit conferences? <laughs> well, my reaction is actually fairly straightforward. It's obvious Kim likes them more than she likes Travis and I. <laughs> I mean, it is, uh, is, you cannot understate the extent to which there was just enthusiasm and people loving their work yes. in ways that we don't always see Absolutely. at these like broadband conferences. Yeah. But the disconnect in me is, is the, the same age old thing. ISPs simply don't look at the world the same way. Mm -hmm. ISPs don't take any of those things into consideration. When they look at a market, I mean, Travis is a good example. He builds outward, outward, outward. He doesn't really do market research on what's the next neighborhood. He's going to build the next neighborhood. That's what most ISPs do. And so they don't pick and choose. Now, in very large cities, you know, there's some, there's some ISPs in New York City who are concentrating strictly on the folks that Net Inclusion is worried about. But ISPs just don't think of the world that way. And, and, and they mostly are probably not going to. I mean, they they have to worry about making their money back. You know, what we need are our rules that don't allow them to cherry pick to the point where they ignore all the people who need broadband. I mean, that's that's the real disconnect, but that's not an ISP issue. That's a regulatory issue. So, but yeah, it, 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 we don't talk the same language because those things don't come into consideration when I build a new network. They, sh they Maybe they should, but they just don't. So. Can we talk about the real big noticeable difference is that net inclusion actually has a lot of young people in diversity where the yeah. band field is a lot of people that are a little bit older and all look the same. Um, yes. It's changing in the broadband field, but it, it is a very different energy and it's a very different like feel throughout the whole um, conference just by being here. Yeah. And I've been talking to a lot of digital inclusion folks and they are young and enthusiastic. It's really awesome to meet them because we haven't had fresh blood in this industry for a while. So I'm, and, I'm loving it. Yeah. 
And we certainly ran into people who were at Net Inclusion who are more middle-aged and advanced age who came into the field from uh, healthcare, from mm -hmm. education, were ones that popped out from the conversations that my team and I had there. And that was particularly interesting, I thought. Um, a number of them had actually identified, um, whether it's this show or the Community Broadband Bits show or others that they were relying on to try to get up to speed as they were coming into the, the broadband area. So God help them all. That's no pressure on you, Travis. They're relying on you, buddy. Yeah, so we have more so than get one. Get it viewer. right this time. No. <laughs> we now have three viewers who are watching us. Yeah, but they're yeah. counting on us. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. Um, so I want to move on to a blog post that Doug had put up before we get to Gigi. And um, Doug... Um, this was fiber networks as community development, and it segued nicely with some of the conversations I was having with different folks at different times. And I was curious if you wanted to just recap that quick. And, um, and I think Travis had a reaction to that as well. What I've, you know, I find it interesting and it's more of a traditional old model, but there's still a lot of cities that do it in that they will bend over backwards to bring a factory or a call center to town that has a hundred employees but they don't make the same kind of concessions for an ISP who, by improving the broadband in an area of bad broadband, there's going to be 400 people who start working out of their house and make a ton of money, and they just don't count that because they're not direct new employees in the town. And so they, they simply, usually when a new ISP comes to town, they put their hand out instead of asking what they can do for them. They go, look, we're glad you're coming here. Can we have a free network to connect all the government buildings? I mean, that's the opposite of, of economic development. It's like you should be really making it easy for these ISPs to come to your community. And a, an awful lot of communities are not doing that. Now, I, that's not a blanket statement because there's communities who are handing out some very big ACP checks and they are really trying to invite folks in. So but I've, I've seen an awful lot of communities who are not doing that. They're, they're not viewing a, a fiber ISP coming to town in the same way they would view a call center. And, and it's just, I, I don't understand why they're not doing that. Do you think that's changing though, Doug, since COVID? that more people are, are looking at it differently and that they're, they're aware of it, but they're, but the elected officials aren't changing their behavior. You know, the elected Trump. officials, they bend over backwards when somebody comes to town to talk about, you know, elected officials have this love of their industrial parks. They're like, Oh, we get another lot in the industrial park taken care of. And then they have parties and ribbon cuttings and, and they just don't have the same enthusiasm for broadband. Again, not blanket statements. Some are bending over summer off. Some communities will do anything to get broadband. So I'm just saying a lot of them are not. So it, it's an I would interesting that, thing. Yeah. I would expect that, Travis, you get a lot of phone calls from folks. And I'm wondering how much you get <laughs> wined and dined after the original just, hey, come to come to our town. Uh, never. <laughs> right. Right. And that's my point. That's, okay. the point. that's the point here, of my blog. Yeah. Yeah. Here, here's the problem. Like, you're OK, you're going to build a central office in the in the neighborhood. And um, they're going to be like, well, how many people does it employ? Well, nobody. So now it's viewed as a negative instead of saying, well, we're going to provide facilities in the neighborhood that could employ people. It, it, there, there's nothing tangible, right? Uh, you know, the thing I've learned about government is if there's already an established path, they'll take it. But if they have to, like, cut down their own trees to get somewhere, it'll never happen. So it's until it gets real noisy, they they won't really do much. And then... It'll be like, well, they look at it and go, God, look at all the permit fees we're going to collect now and all the money we're going to make from off of this opportunity. That that That's how they feel about it. 
versus for if someone brings a new factory, they don't charge them any taxes for 10 years. They oh, no, they'll bend, for, yeah, bend over backwards because right. they're going right. to, well, you're going to employ, you know, 300 people. That's a huge, you know, I mean, right. I, I understand it from their point of view. Yeah. Is that your reaction, Kim, when you're dealing with like Syracuse and some of the other places you've built more recently? I, I think it's not necessarily. I think some of them are changing their tune, but Utah is a very connected state. So I, I'm looking at it a little bit differently, but I was thinking almost in, does it become such a dire situation for broadband in these cities before they're willing to incentivize a broadband provider to come in? So are they experiencing brain drain already? And then that's the ones that will incentivize versus the ones who might have two major incumbents in it. And it is not a huge priority on their, uh, on the city officials list. You know, I think there's something else entirely in some ways, and that's that um, a new network benefits everyone a little about a little bit. And I think this is uh, one of those classic issues where you can imagine if a public official says, I'm going to give out, we're going to give out a hundred thousand dollars to a lucky winner. And um, people are really excited to be that winner. Or they're like, we're going to give out $10 to everyone. And people are like, eh, who cares? Um, broadband is one of those things that everyone benefits a little bit from having a much higher quality next connection and that sort of a thing. And so I feel like it just doesn't get that appreciation. People don't appreciate the power of decentralized solutions and just in that, like, um, just a similar thing, Travis, I saw you, but I just want to finish this point. Like <laughs> once again, like, I mean, there's been like the amount, my colleague, John Farrell has done this work, um, analyzing, uh, decentralized solar. And when you look at how much electricity in California has been added to the grid from rooftop solar, it is more than the size of multiple large, uh, concentrated plants. And yet it's still treated like it's a, it's a, it's a small thing that doesn't matter because yeah, people, right. yeah, yeah. people want a big ribbon cutting, a big thing. And right. so um, it's just distributed <laughs> solutions never get their due. And I think that's what here is happening here. Travis. Well, plus it, plus it's a complicated topic too. Going back to what I think Kim said earlier, if you look at these city councils, most of them are older folks, right? And so do they know the difference between, 3g 4g 5g fiber cable dsl and no they don't know they're and when broadband's defined as 25.3 it's a non-issue you know, he's rubbing that win in chris he's he never misses. He never yeah misses. but does somebody else want to ask the obvious question of what's going on here today how did kim get this chief marketing officer thing on her on her on her tag there <laughs> That's what's going on today. As you just notice the <laughs> subtitle, <laughs> Kim has been promoted, right? Somewhere she's in now. Life. She's now the senior. She's yeah. the senior person among us all. Jealous, one now. Yeah. Jealous right, of Kim. Guys, I just do love your <laughs> all right. I asked. Everybody wanted to know, but did Kim so, get a promotion here? We when we no. use the we use the subtitles. When you bump people over to the side, sometimes it ends up like in my case, it kept covering up my mouth, and it was really weird because like. <laughs> My name was covering up my mouth, so we dropped it on me, and I, I assume that we kept it on Kim because um, we want. I, you know, I don't. I don't even know why we're using it on Kim and no one else. But I think I'm it's very happy. I'm very happy. We need to Kim's throw the agenda out the window. I think jealous of Kim should be permanent. <laughs> All right, I, everyone wanted to know. And I, yeah, yeah. Everyone wanted to know. So. Uh, yeah, so I mean, the last thing, Chris, you were talking about something else that was important. Yeah, the last thing I'll just say on this is that, like, you know, um, sports stadiums, I think, are uh, something that um, it's difficult to calculate the value to the community. Um, but 
it is clear to me that when you compare the amount of money that is often put into a sports stadium and you look at how much it would cost to bring high quality internet access to everyone, those numbers are usually pretty similar for different size cities. And you look at the economic boost that one would get from delivering that higher quality service, the competition and everything else. There's no doubt that the returns are like on the order of a hundred or a thousand times that of a sports stadium. And one of those investments is commonly made and the other one is not. And it's pretty remarkable. Yeah, absolutely. Because it's fairly easy to argue sports stadiums never quite ever pay their money back. They might well come close. That's the best they can do. So, yep. Um, so, Speaking of something that is in no way going to make me um, jealous of people who are not angry at the world. I don't know how I'm making this connect. Um, <laughs> Gigi Sohn has withdrawn her nomination. Um, and the the order in which many of us saw it was that um, Senator Manchin said that he would not support her. And then it became public that she was withdrawing her nomination. Um uh, my understanding is that the decision had been made earlier and that Manchin just took it as an opportunity to dance on her grave, on the grave of her nomination. And so uh, no one should give him credit for having killed the nomination. He is, um, you know, I don't need to sit here and discuss my personal feelings about different elected officials, but um, it's incredibly disappointing that Gigi will not be on the commission. And uh, I wanted to talk about that for a a few minutes with you folks, as well as where we think we're going next. So I don't know if anyone has a reaction. I legitimately thought she was going to get on. I didn't think it was going to be easy, but I thought Gigi was going to be seated on the commission. I thought with the Democratic majority, she would sneak through. They couldn't even get her out of committee. It's just very disappointing. So it's it's mind-boggling. The failure is not, I mean, the failure of her, she's probably the most qualified person I've seen nominated for the FCC in 20 or 30 years. So, you know, that's disappointing. But, you know, we, this is now showing that we have completely dysfunctional regulation. As weak as it is to start with, we won't even put the people in to even pretend to make it work. The FCC doesn't have that much power. There's not much she can do there because Congress still controls telecom. And so, you know, I'm not quite sure what they're afraid of other than they simply don't even want to have discussions about whether broadband should be relate, regulated. That's what it's all about. It's simply the big ISPs flexing their muscles and obviously, we are now in a position where in many other regulatory agencies, it's not just broadband. The, the big corporations are calling the shots. So, so right, you know, it's worth, at this point, we'll probably never fill the damn FCC up. How well, are we ever going to get anybody through? It is worth noting that it was the broadcasters as well, not solely yes. the big yes. Well, big corporations. Yeah. Say, again, giant corporations. Yeah. Kim? She just couldn't be bought. At the end of the day, she couldn't be bought. Right. And she was a risk to all of that big money that's in Washington, D.C. And it's disheartening to see. But for her sake and her family's sake, I'm glad that she stopped the shenanigans before she had to go through much more of it. Because it was even hard for me to watch what they were saying. Yes. Oh, boy, that sure was. It was ridiculous. I completely agree with that. And yeah, I don't know if you... but, but I don't know how they're, they're going to make a new nomination. No one else is going to get through either. They made it personal because that's what they do in D.C. The fact is they're not letting anybody take that position. Well, I think if there's some squishy person, they may get through, but especially because that person will not be seated until the very end of this year or early next year, at which point the FCC will not be doing very much because of the election that is looming at the end of the year. And so there's just less activity that is typically done um, as the election gets nearer. So there might be someone okay. seated, but like well, I now have a new I need a new blog to right now. 
we need a squishy person. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I think there's an irony in that I think if Gigi had not been so focused on the public interest, if Gigi had been someone who was a big fundraiser for the president, which is the case for um, uh, the previous uh, Obama's appointees, um, Janikowski, who I did not like, and Wheeler, who I did like, um, uh, both of them, you know, if she had raised the kind of money that they had and had the kind of connections, she would have gotten through because the senators would have would have just pushed her through, right? Like you would have seen if, if she had given a lot of money, if she'd raised like hundreds of millions of dollars, um, or it was it millions of dollars, tens of millions of dollars. I don't even know what the exact order of magnitude is, but if she'd raised big money, Chuck Schumer would have made her a priority to get through, but she didn't. Right. She was just someone who gave her life to like public interest work. And like, she wanted wow. to be a, re a regulator and. And they don't want public interest people in any commissions. And it's not just the FCC. There's six or eight federal regulatory bodies. They don't like those kind of people. Yeah. No, she was, she was totally qualified. Um, she was, uh, she was attacked for numerous things and we can use that. We can use the noun is because she's still here, you know? Right. So. Right. I mean, <laughs> you know, I, I mean, here's the thing, right? Like, like at least it's over. Like it is, yeah. we are, we have, we have, we have all been impoverished for the past 18 months because Gigi is one of the loudest voices in, in most, right. um, you know, people who, who stands out, has a strong platform to speak up about, uh, a subject that isn't getting enough attention, which is broadband issues. Mm -hmm. And now she will be able to speak. And I'm looking forward to that. She'll be at broadband communities, um, uh, I hope. And we will um, be able to, um, you know, just sort of um, have her back among us again, doing presentations, not hiding and hoping that some senators will finally come to, come to their senses. Oh, I think she's coming out in the fury. I think this probably yes. her off. I think her voice is going to be more than it's ever been. And I think Agreed. that could be more dangerous than her being on the FCC in some regards, if she can empower some people and get. Absolutely. I think she can do a lot more off the FCC. I just really wanted to see her on there because frankly, I just, I don't really, what is the future of the FCC? I the want FCC, to see functional government. Yes. So, the FCC yeah. at this point, like, let's be clear. The F, none of us think the FCC are going to get the maps right. Even no. if they did get the maps right, the best we could hope for from the FCC is maps that um, that have advertised speeds with no reliability information and no pricing information. And this is our big data source, right? That's if everything goes right for what the FCC is trying to do. That's how impressive it is. It's just, it's ridiculous. We have like these broadband offices have $42 Travis, billion. Travis. They're spending yeah. all oh, their time. Travis, 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 he's running. He's running. Come on, man. <laughs> We've got $42.5 billion and all of the state broadband offices are just trying to figure out how to interface with the FCC on these failed maps. Hey, it's, Chris, it's can you ask how much the FCC has paid for these maps just to um, like see how it goes? <laughs> well, I, I mean, Kim, seriously, I mean, for $100 million, don't you? I mean, we should only, that's barely even one county, isn't it? <laughs> I mean, it, they, they're so underfunded on these maps, it's just not even... I don't even know why we even talked about it anymore. It was That's a bad idea to demand that the maps be life-sized. The whole one-to-one -one scale, it proved to be much more difficult than we expected. I mean, for $100 million, I, I, I can barely do my block for $100 million. I mean, seriously. Um, and I, you know... I This whole thing, like the definition of broadband, I cannot believe I freaking lost this bet twice. <laughs> I just... So, so let's, you know, I've been waiting. Wait now that, that may be the definition of broadband in 2030 at the rate we're going. So, well, 
So, so what was the bet again, Chris? For 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 everybody, we forget. So, just so we, uh... the bet last year was that um, originally two years ago, two years ago, I bet you that the FCC would have increased the speed definition that it has for broadband, and I said that if they had did not increase it by March second or something like that of 2022, I would buy you chicken wings for a year. Yep. Um. I bought you chicken wings one time, and in that and at that time, we decided that we would go double or nothing because you don't like it when I buy you things because, mm-hmm. um, um, I don't know because you're that that guy who's just like super nice. Um, it's very weird you like to hang out with me, but nonetheless, so we went double or nothing, and now I I don't know I just owe you wings for as long as we're like a thing. I think I think we're gonna give you an opportunity right now. Triple or nothing. <laughs> I I just I don't want to get my hopes up, Travis. I've been burned, and and I don't see that there's anything coming. Well, I mean, um, a, 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 lock, a, lock, a two part a lock commission is never going to do it. So yeah. well, think about it. By the time we get to nineteen or nothing, it'll be you'll have won, and it will zero <laughs> out. Okay, so, yeah. Um, I I mean, but seriously. When you look at like the digital discrimination, that's that has to this the digital discrimination rulemaking has to be done by November per statute. Now, of course, has to be done means might could be might not be done. Like who really cares? There's no FCC police to come after them. But oh, it'll um, be done. We're gonna do it this with ha- it'll be done. It just won't have any teeth in it. It's not gonna say anything. Yeah, like I and so we have like once again, like I'm upset about the state broadband offices wasting their time on FCC proceedings around the map and trying to figure out all the things the FCC didn't bother to do. Um, and now we're gonna have all these public interest groups spending their time, you know, trying to figure out how to do something with this thing that won't do anything. It's it is not gonna result in anything positive. And so the only thing I would say is I hope the public interest groups are thinking about this to engage with it in a way that they will be able to create value locally and at the state level with the work they're doing. Because the FCC is not going to be taking action in a way, and this is a bet I'd be willing to make, the FCC is simply not going to do anything on digital discrimination that moves the needle for any significant number of people. Oh, I'm not going to bet against you on that. (laughs) That's not even a bet. That's just a fact. So you can't really bet a fact, can you? Yeah. I mean, I would take if the FCC would just try and create stats in a database that would be useful around it. I think that would be valuable. So we'd have this common set of figures if it was high value. But the FCC has no ability to do that, it looks like. Well, you realize unless they change Title II, they can't do anything on it. They don't have the authority right now to change anything. They don't regulate broadband. Right, right. So... Um, so that's the other thing is I would say, like, as we wrap up the Gigi Sone piece and, and I'm really curious how you all react to this, but like, in my mind, like industry does not want the national rules that, um, had been in place under the Obama years with regard to blocking and prioritization and stuff like that. Um, but because of the ineptitude of the, of a jip of a jeep pies, um, administration, um, it's wide open for States to do more on this stuff. I mean, some of the court cases that are coming forward right now will give us a little bit more guidance on where the limits of state action are, but I think it's time for the patchwork. You know, industry always claims they hate a patchwork of laws, and yet that's what they're pushing us to. And people need to work at the state and local level to create the regulations they think are right. And if it makes it harder for Comcast to do business in different states, that's their own damn fault. I'm completely with that. So there's only a few states with the courage to do that. Remember, most states have also deregulated broadband, and most state commissions are toothless as well. So, but you know, there are some who could tackle this. California is certainly willing to. Um, 
that, but that's the way to go. We have seven sets of rules and let it watch them complain. It's like eh, you could have, you could have had the FCC do it. So, yeah. Well, so I, I will go back to my thought. Kim McKinley for FCC. How do we make that happen? Who do you know over there? Uh, well, I think it involves writing big checks. Like the amount of money that you've put into Minneapolis and building a broadband network, it, it involves giving that love money to a political <laughs> well, party. I mean, I'm willing. I'm willing to put in the first hundred dollars. <laughs> Can we do a both on me on this? Maybe you know to get Kim on board. I think. Uh, yeah, I actually I I like Kim way too much to want to put her on the FCC. Even after last week. <laughs> and Travis, there's. I mean, Kim would get the same treatment that um, um, Gigi did. The 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 thing that the FCC needs to be confirmed is someone who has worked for uh, Verizon, Comcast, or no. someone else. They've worked for private big law firms in D.C. doing telecom work. They've worked for big corporations, and then they go to the FCC, and that's those are the ones who get through. I think Kim has a worse shot than Gigi did. She comes from a municipal broadband background. My <laughs> God, talk about the big giant. You know, cross on her, cross yep. on her chest. There, bam. She's yeah, no, I wouldn't even make it on the flight into DC. <laughs> <laughs> the person that comes through will be someone that has deep connections inside mm -hmm. the Beltway. Someone who's worked on the Hill for as a staffer oh, yeah. for someone that worked on telecom closely, or from someone that has uh, deep ties to the. Um, you know, they've come out of Harvard or Yale Law or something like that, and they've worked for the big. They've right worked for the right firms. That's that's who gets on the regulatory commissions. Okay, so the key to getting this position is you've never actually hooked someone up to the internet. Yes. Right. Oh, okay. We're all out then. So we're out. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, no, I well, mean, Chris I would, could do it. Chris can do it. I mean, if they were to pick, let's be clear. Like, I would, I would, I would think it would be a tremendous benefit if they would pick someone. If you pick someone from a small telco, someone mm -hmm. who has spent forty years out there, someone who hates me and everything I stand for. There's more than a few of them, you know. <laughs> that <laughs> that would be that would be an improvement yeah. because that person would at least have some realistic experience that's not from the biggest companies, and right. I would welcome that. <laughs> Even even someone who is like on you know like on the other side of all the issues for me, someone who hates net neutrality, but at least had some real life experience, that would be remarkable. But I don't see that happening either. No. So hold on, is this so? These kind of roles are the only roles that you can or job you can get without any actual practical experience, huh? I mean, I do think that there is something to be said for practical experience of navigating these massive institutions. Um, for instance, like when Biden was taking office. Different people will ask people in the industry, you know, like, oh, who should be at NTIA and who should be doing this and who should be doing that? And I'm always like, I have no idea. Like, I don't know anyone who's managed a thousand people, you know? And so, like, it's often people that are in big companies because they have experience with these massive bureaucratic 10 layers of middle management kind of organizations, the way the federal government works. You know, there's no one at working at a small ISP who is who has figured out how to manage 100 people underneath them because none of the small ISPs have 100 people working for them. So there's like a whole body of experience that lends itself, I think, to working in D.C. and these massive bureaucratic institutions. And, and people want these jobs. OK. All right. I oh, yes, that. because they're a stepping stone to a really good job afterward. Okay. And, and I mean, I think I think we need people that can do that. It's just that we have to understand that we are blocking off a whole bunch of qualified people from being able to do that work um, because of 
the skills that we're looking for, for the people that are going to be actually filling that position. I think, go ahead, Kim. Could you imagine a person who's worked at a small ISP who can be agile and they can do whatever they want and move where, build wherever they want, and then having to go into DC and work under that bureaucracy? I mean, that would be the biggest headache of anybody of having to deal with that. Like Travis, if you had to go and work in those, <laughs> what would happen? I, I can picture it. Oh, can you, can you imagine? I'd be like, this is the way you guys operate. What are we trying to do here? Are, are we, if oh, Travis goes to the FCC, I will buy him chicken wings. Yeah, jeez. Imagine, <laughs> me and, imagine me and my T-shirt at that and baseball hat at that. You know where they? What is that? Where the the senators all yell at you? You know, and then and ask the hearings. You like, yeah, in third grade, you said this. I'm like, I don't know. Maybe I did. Maybe I didn't. So, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, and that's the thing is that I, I don't want to denigrate the folks who are doing that. Like, I think we need that given the nature of our economy. Um, I think we need to move away from that in some ways, but it's going to be a long, hard progress. So uh, I'm glad there are people out there who are willing to do it. Sure. But it's just that it's not the people who we tend to surround ourselves with because of the nature of the work that we're doing, I think. Um, but I want to come back and, and remind ourselves of the hope and enthusiasm we saw at Net Inclusion, all the, all the folks who are uh, coming into this space. Um, uh, we want to bring on uh, my colleague H. Um, H is someone who should be familiar with uh, longtime followers of the Institute for Local Self-Reliance because if you look at the ACP dashboard, it all comes back to when H turned to me and said, I think we should do GIS stuff. And I was like, yeah, you should definitely do GIS stuff. <laughs> so welcome back, H. Hi, it's good to be back. And yeah, I remember when it was, let's do GIS stuff. And I was like, cool. I'm sure I can teach myself that real quick here. <laughs> I think you found it was easier to teach yourself than it was to teach me. That That is also very true. Um, so yeah, I'm What are you I'm doing H. now? Uh, so right now, I work at the Center for Indian Country Development at the Federal Reserve Bank of Minneapolis. That's my hat. <laughs> Excellent. So and I, this is, this is, I think this is very exciting. I think you're excited to be there. I think they're excited to have you there. Uh, but just give us a sense of what that means. So the Center for Indian Country Development is very focused on different community development issues within Indian Country. And I think I should take a step back because this actually reflects on a little bit more of your discussion earlier about how internet access is so important to community development. Um, each of the Federal Reserve Banks has a community development department and they are all very interested now in internet access because um, it is just huge as far as economic infrastructure. It's more than online banking, um, people keep asking me about online banking and I'm like, yes, it's that, but also there's so much more there. Um, and so, uh, they brought me on board because, um, I started out with you, what, back in 2015. So almost eight years ago, um, just been working on tribal broadband issues ever since. Um, and so I came on board and was like, cool, we're going to like really dive in deep to these policies, programs, look at, you know, are they meeting their goals? What, what can be changed? What can't be changed? Mm -hmm. um, just well, kind of that very fun little policy analysis stuff. It's kind of boring stuff also because, you know, it's the Federal Reserve Bank. But this is where I think it's worth um, noting 
as I understand it, the Federal Reserve Bank is is obviously involved in banking and making sure the banking system is working well um, and making sure it's working well for all people. Uh, and so this is where you talk about community development and that sort of a thing, uh, because we've seen multiple Federal Reserve Banks being very interested with the um, uh, development um, broadband. I've talked with folks who are working in West Virginia, who are working um, down the Dallas Federal Reserve Bank is very focused on the Rio Grande Valley, areas that have had very little development where people don't have as much economic opportunity. And that's what I really want to kind of get at. I feel like these, these Federal Reserve Banks are focused on making sure that people can improve their lives, have more economic opportunity, and we get rid of some of the persistent poverty that we see in some of these regions. Is that right? Yeah, that is 100% true. That is uh, better than I could have said it myself. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, yeah. And, you know, a lot of times when we talk about Indian country, we talk about the digital divide there. And one of the things that you kind of touched on is that there are, Indian country is not necessarily a monolith. There are these areas with like deep poverty and areas that have uh, been able to get internet access quickly and develop um, like cultural programming online. Um, so there's just huge variety here. Um, but even, even so we are seeing, hi, this is Ivan. <laughs> um, we are seeing these, uh, these major digital divides still. Um, you know, I can share with you some statistics, but I don't want to bore you again. Um, Chris knows that I love just throwing out stats and, um, you know, H has a great mind for them. And, um, one of the things that always impressed me was um, being able to bring them up at the appropriate times. Um, but I, I think I'm more, we're more curious about some of the stories. And I, let me ask you what, if you're successful over the next, let's just say like one or two years, what would we see? How would we know that? So the thing about policy analysis is it's very hard to tell when you are actually being successful. What I think, what I would like to see is I think what we all want to see, which is more internet access throughout Indian country, more tribal networks, more partnerships with internet service providers and rural cooperatives. Like, I think that one of the things we'd all like to see is that Indian country is not left behind, that we are included in everything that is happening. Um, and we, you know, we also want to make sure that banks are also better able to understand how they can work in this space. Because even though the internet's been around for decades now, um, it still sometimes feels like a very new thing to some of these older industries. Yeah, and I think many of the banks aren't sure exactly how to get involved. Um, but I know that um, you all are trying to make that easier on them. Uh, let me ask if um, Doug, Travis, or Kim, you have any questions? That's actually, you just raised a really good question. <clears throat> Banks in general just have a problem with infrastructure lending. They don't understand it. You know, they've shied away from it. Well, I, I've been in industry for many, many years. And when I was young in industry, that's where you went to get infrastructure funding. Bank of America funded roads for Pete's sakes. And so, you know, that's where everybody used to go. And, and all the various policy changes over the years made it harder and harder and harder. You know, I mean, Travis, is an example of someone who's figured out a way to do it, but most ISPs have not figured out regular commercial banks. 
So I'm just curious what kind of things you can do to make banks get broadband better because it's it's really a low risk, easy return thing usually, but they don't seem to understand that. So I think one thing um, is sort of uplifting those stories like Travis's story to make it clear that there are examples out there of this working um, because no one wants to be the first one doing something. You know, it's just, you know, how we are as, I guess, humans. We like to, you know, mimic people. Um, I like to mimic Chris a lot of times. I'm, I'm sorry. I'm, I'm sorry. Well, we're judging you on that, but that's okay. <laughs> I don't. I don't think Chris enjoys my uh, little mimes about him, but you know, he worked with me for years and had to put up with it. <laughs> but yeah, there's. I kind of want to take off my Federal Reserve hat for a minute and just talk about like sort of my personal personal opinion about this is that um, there's so much there's so much opportunity here um, and one of the sort of issues you run into with banks and regulation and all of that is figuring out how tribes fit into that because it seems like a lot of these, systems were built up before really thinking about tribes and what is actually needed in Indian country. And I think we've, you know, seen that a little bit with like how deep the digital divide still is in Indian country after, you know, all of this, all this funding for years and years. Um, like I am going to have to throw out some statistics. I'm sorry, Chris. Mm -hmm. Yeah, do it. <laughs> Um, you know, research here at Center for Indian Country Development, we found that broadband speeds are approximately 75% slower on tribal lands than the neighboring non-tribal lands. And we've also found that the lowest price for basic internet service on tribal lands is 11% higher. So you're paying more for getting even less. Okay, Would you put back on my... Yeah. And, and that's my, and that's my absolute experience. I've never seen it any different than that. That's even within. This is even hard to believe. Even within cooperatives, they treat Indian country differently than the rest of their cooperative. It's it's really a, an unfortunate situation the way it happens. Kim? I was just going to say, is it education? Because even in like regular, without even putting the tribes into account, people don't even understand this industry and understand how important it is. You had tribes and their difficulties on top of it. That just makes it so much more overwhelming for people to learn about. So is it an education problem that we need to go out there and try to help educate people on this problem from the banking side? Um, I think it is a little bit of an education problem for on both like the banking side on the internet service provider side. Um, just, you know, tribes have been around for forever, but at the same time, it always seems like it's a, it's a new thing when you bring it up to people. Um, yeah. Well, I also uh, think if I could jump in H, I think yeah. there's also the issue that, um, their tribes are often a small population at this point for um, obviously horrible historical reasons. And so you have a business that could be a bank, it could be an ISP, 
and they're working in the area and then they see it's already hard enough to build these networks. And then the idea that they're going to have to learn how to work with the tribe, how to treat it with respect in ways that they may not have to do with a county uh, because the tribe is sovereign. Um, and and they look at it and they say, I think I'm just going to avoid this and I'm, I'm going to kind of ignore it. And I think one of the things that, that you're doing in the Federal Reserve Bank is is working with more the banks where you have a hook because you know how you have a hook to regulate the ISPs, but banks to say, no, you can't just ignore them. You have to f- figure out how to lend to them. And we need to make sure that, that we all benefit from, from uh, what banks can do for, for society. So I don't know if that's overstepping at all. That's how I think of it. No, that's, that's an interesting, that's a pretty good way of thinking about it. You know, how banks and tribes interact and, you know, what is the role of the federal reserve within all of that. And you know, the Center for Indian Country Development is just a small piece of community development at the Federal Reserve Bank of Minneapolis. And one thing that I think people miss out is that the Federal Reserve Banks are each independent of one another. Um, So they're able to prioritize uh, based on the needs of their particular regions, um, because they've split the U.S. into these 12 districts. I think it's really funny that uh, our district includes the Upper Peninsula of Michigan and Northern Wisconsin. It's like it it does make sense as it far just as cut like, them right, not even in half. It just cut them there. <laughs> There's a question. What about credit unions? Do you are you also involved with? Is the Federal Reserve Bank is involved with credit unions as well? No, credit unions are regulated by a different. Uh, I'm trying to remember what it's called, but it's basically a credit union agency mm-hmm. uh, sort of thing. Um, I think that's one of the things people forget is the Federal Reserve Banks don't regulate all of the banks. Like, um, it's it's a pretty uh, interesting bureaucracy. Um, it's definitely one of the largest bureaucracies I've ever worked for. Um, and I Thank you. I'm glad it wasn't me. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like when I came to ILSR, I was inventing the bureaucracy. <laughs> There was, there was a little bit of that. And I just want to note that um, uh, we found you, you found us because I did a job listing with a, with a sort of a little play on words in it. And, um, and for anyone who is looking to find the right culture of people, putting a joke into a job listing is not the wrong way to do it because H added so much over the years to us. And, and we are grateful for all of the, uh, the work you did for us, H. Thank you. Thank you. It's nice to be appreciated. Um, are there, are there not, any to mention, not to mention tuxedo cat. So. <laughs> I, have a, I have a couple of tuxedo cats. I have four oh. cats here. and um, Th- Those are the best. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, Kim had a cat on her shoulder when we started the show, and then she just she threw did. him right off. It was rude. She ditched him. Yeah. Oh, so pretty. There's <laughs> any, any last questions for H about the Center for Indian Community Development? I, I would just ask. What you know? It's, this just out of curiosity. What what are you working on right now? What, what policy? Right now, yeah. <laughs> right now, I'm writing a little web article about what tribes need to know about the FCC broadband maps and bead funding. Um, Better you than me. So, yeah, I was like, do you want a rant in the middle of it? Because I'm sure Chris can. <laughs> <laughs> it's one of those things where I always am ranting about precision versus accuracy. It's like it's great that the map goes down to like each single house it would be great though if the map also kind of reflected reality a little bit but i'm i'm hopeful that it'll get better 
Yeah, I think, I mean, that's the one thing is that um, it should get better over time. Travis, were you leaning forward to say something? Oh, I have so many questions. I don't know how, how long do you want me to get on this topic. You should pick but... the best one. Okay. Oh, they're all so good. Okay, so the um, <laughs> okay, so here's the issue. How do we get capital into the hands of competent operators to expand networks in areas of need? So the challenge that I see, you know, again, being independent operators, obtaining capital from traditional lenders is inc- it's it's incredibly challenging, and getting capital from other sources is incredibly expensive. So I guess the question I have is for the Federal Reserve, do they have the power or authority to generate programs that would entice this work to actually happen by independent operators that are across the or I guess across your region? I wish we had that magic wand, Travis. I don't know if you brought it with you on your yeah. trip, but the thou shalt lend to Travis. Ding. Well, the thing is, is, is you know, the, if, if you don't have something to lend against, you can't create the new widget. So and most of these operators don't have it or the bank covenants are so stringent that you can't leverage your money far enough to make a significant difference. So it's this kind of catch 22 that we'll never, ever, ever get out of unless there is a shift in banking to allow these operators to to spread their wings. H. Um, I was going to say tribes are in a very similar position as far as not having anything to, you know, back their loans. Yeah. You know, you can't you can't use federal trust lands, you know. Um, so it is this catch 22. Um, I think. You know, the Federal Reserve does all of this policy analysis but it doesn't make recommendations. It only tells you here's outcome one, here's outcome two, here's outcome three, based on what is happening in these policy development circles. And so it's really interesting because um, there is the Community Reinvestment Act that um, requires banks to do lending related to uh, community development, and especially in low and moderate income communities. Um, and so there may be opportunities there. I don't, I don't really know. Community Reinvestment Act stuff is a little outside the scope of my work. I'm very focused on tribal broadband right now, um, tribal housing, tribal water. Um, yeah, you're, re- you're relatively really new to the bank regulation world. I oh, think. yes. Yes. I'm also I've been on this job for six months and then three months of that. I was actually out on parental leave. OK, well, I, I was just curious because part of me has always thought instead of giving all this money away to operators and hoping they do good work. Why don't we take half of the money, put it into a loan bucket where where small operators could borrow at the Fed rate through a traditional bank? So the bank has zero risk. And they could lever up six, eight, ten times. You'd see, and then compare the two. But that loan would have to be paid back over ten years. And then there's certain technical requirements, so you got to put fiber in the ground. So if they fail, another operator could pick up the parts and, and keep running it. But I, I, I guess my point is, unless there's a major change in banking policy and something that's easy to understand, I don't know if you ever tried to read one of these things. Oh yes. my lord. I mean, you need to have a PhD in banking science to figure out how these programs work in order to use them. So if, if we don't change some of that to make it easier for just the smaller or even medium-sized operators to utilize, 
we might be having the same conversation in episode 7,432. So, mm-hmm. And I feel that way about some of the broadband funding programs that come out through the federal government where it's like, wow, there is, it's so dense. Yeah. It's like, you couldn't make this a, like, feed is not a simple process. You know, it's just, bureaucracy is complex. I mean, well, it's like page five of the bead documents. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> well, we appreciate your hard work. If you could simplify it over there uh, while you got extra time, we would all appreciate it. So, Travis, I'm, I'm so H is just a mile north of me. Just give me that magic wand, Travis, and I'll I'll run it over to her. I left it at home, but I have my magic flies water if you want that. <laughs> <laughs> thank you, H. Wonderful to see you. Yeah, thank, thank you. you. It's great to see all of you again. All right, yeah. take care. The, the Federal Reserve Banks are doing, um, I just think, really, um, really good work in terms of, of raising some of these issues up because they are someone or an entity that takes a lot of, uh, has a lot of um, standing. Like when they say something, people listen. And uh, so when they're talking about these issues, it helps shine a light on it in ways that are important. I wanted to, I want to sort of Travis's idea for a program to, for the federal government to distribute money. I just want to come back to this because... Well, we were talking about earlier regarding who gets advanced to run these agencies and work in them in D.C. It is not someone who would have come up with that program that Travis just came up with. Right. It's instead people who are like, oh, who do I know? Who can I ask how to run a program like this? And then they're whoever they happen to run into and talk to. And like it's different, obviously, people. But um, but that's how those programs are designed, because no one there really has this experience to have be thinking outside the box and do that sort of a thing. So um, I don't know if you have a reaction to that, Doug, but well, I do, because there are programs like Travis mentioned, there are federal loan guarantees, but they are so hard to work your way through them that I mean, I I don't know anyone who's actually ever made it the whole way through. I know a lot of people have tried. So you can go and lever up on it. Theoretically. You can theoretically get a two percent guaranteed loan with long payback, and and but you know it's just in a tremendous path to get through it, and you end up not qualifying for one of the thirty-seven reasons. Yeah, I was going to say, have you ever seen all the reasons? Yeah, one of them you won't. Yeah, one of them you won't make. But Doug, what you're saying, I think it's missing something though, and which is Travis is also focused on the power of leverage, and I think as soon as you get money from the federal government, anything they lock you, you down. Yeah, like you can't lever that up. No, not at all. Or, or they want to be a, here's the, so here's the fundamental problem with these grant programs or even loan programs that they want to be in first position. Well, so does your senior lender. Mm-hmm. So your senior lender won't borrow you any money if the, if, if the grant is in first position. So, so the whole thing is immediately done. And this gets back to, I'll just say that, um, Travis, I don't know if you would enjoy her as much as I do, but Mariana Mazzucato um, has done great work in talking about the role that government needs to play in terms of making investments. And I think um, she would say that the federal government and other governments should be helping to make these loans, and they should have some ability to um, to get a uh, some of the upside um, if they pay off but also that they probably should be not in first position because that is just not going to allow you to build the capital stack that you need. I don't think anybody would mind giving them a share of the profits if they yeah. made it easy to get the money. Yeah. Would you, Travis, that would be a reasonable thing to ask for. I, I wouldn't. Yeah, I would. I mean, I guess there's two modes. I wouldn't. I but if would you never get the money, it's a moot point. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I wouldn't want to have a, it'd just be nice to have a low interest federal government program 
that smaller operators could borrow against. Because once you get momentum behind you, you can use traditional. You don't need that anymore. Yeah. But and if if like 30 percent, let's just say I'm picking a number, but let's you know, a number that's high, but not insanely high. Let's say 30 percent of the ISPs that try to do this fail. Um, you know, you start small and what, what's that going to be, Travis, like a few million dollars per ISP that you're starting off with probably. Yeah. Um, and so like, you're talking about, you know, potentially less than a hundred million dollars, which is what 1%, uh, less than much less than 1% of what we're putting into bead. And with that, you could have lots of small ISPs starting, and then you keep giving more loans to the ones that are proving that they can succeed. The ones that, 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 that aren't able to progress, you know, you seize the assets or whatever, like, but. Um, you can, you have some level of loss, but it is pretty small compared to the overall gain we get from having a higher quality um, internet access everywhere. Yeah, and if you make them put in fiber and certain, you know, very minimal technical requirements, then you know, Utopia or us or somebody else can come in behind them, and immediately you're, you know, you're back up and running. So yeah. I don't know. I, I just think I, I don't know if these kind of programs exist, but it is. I'm going to say 99 percent of anybody that wants to start an ISP nowadays to, to compete in their market will not be able to get funding <laughs> unless, unless they want to mortgage their house and cash Kim, in their 401k. Kim, we don't want to hear about problems. What are you doing? I was going to say the problem with these is that they're trying to get a hundred percent coverage, right? You, you do these programs and you like hit for night. It's going to qualify for 90%, but they put all of this bureaucracy for that extra 10%. Um, and then it just causes a complete, Chit show, if you will, that nothing happens. There goes our clean tag. That's the shortest synopsis of bead I've ever heard. I like. (laughs) (laughs) Well, something must be going on with these bead programs because every vendor out there right now is flushed with inventory, and man, they're trying to ship it all. So that's where that's who the banks are lending to, I guess. Right? Exactly. Yeah. Well, they're all. I can tell you one thing that happened, Travis. This year alone. The biggest ISPs have trimmed back like four to five million new passings. They're not expanding. All of a sudden, they all slowed down. AT and T and everyone else, the oh. vendors are now sitting on a lot of inventory. They were expecting to sell this year. So no, yeah. they they absolutely. Well, I mean, look what happened to interest rates in the last twelve months. Of course, we slowed. Oh, yeah. Everybody's slowing down. This thing is going to run. Even, to the, even the big guys. Yes, this is going to run to a screeching halt if this keeps up. So yes. speaking of running to a screeching halt, before we run out of time, Travis, I want to talk about Wisconsin. Sounds like you did some homework to be able to talk about it. So let's not push it off the agenda. You had expanded and doing a project with a partner in Wisconsin. You had received a, an award from the state to help build a rural area. And you made a comment on a previous show that it sounded like you weren't going to be able to be doing that much more in the future. So we want to have a better sense of why. So we were able to navigate through that, and uh, here was the reason. Grant one and two, the state was happy to take a second and third position on the debt. Uh, Doug and Kim probably know this better, but apparently the state then were, were using something called like general funds or something, and then they went out for option three, and they went out and got a bond for it, and the people that had the bond were requiring first position. And so we ended up having to do a carve-out with our bank to allow – to get that grant that they could be in first position. So this is where I, I, I got familiar with that. But if, again, if you were, if you didn't have, if you weren't the size of Utopia or us, you'd be disqualified immediately for the grant number three, which was really terrible because they had already had two years of momentum. So you were just assuming it was going to continue on. Then they changed all the rules. So we, well, were, we, were, able, we were able to navigate through it, but it was not easy. 
And that's a really good point. People think state grants are state grants. They come from 11 different places and every one of those 11 sources has a different set of rules. It just drives you crazy. So, yeah. So I learned something here. If, if you set up your rules based on the way you get year one grants, it may not be the same in year two, three, four, right. and five. So it usually is not. Yeah. Yeah. This reminds me of a recent episode of Radio Lab. Um, in uh, which is a, a very popular podcast for those who are not into it. Um, and they talked about, uh, I believe his name is William, but it was uh, Senator Proxmire from Wisconsin who created the Golden Fleece Award back in the day, which has continued for a long time, which was given out to like government waste. And this gets back to an earlier topic as well, which is to say, Travis, one of the reasons they want to take first position on this stuff and uh, the bureaucrats are worried about it is because uh, they are afraid of being identified of having wasted taxpayer dollars and people overreact about that. There are numerous cases in which that Golden Fleece Award went to something that sounded ridiculous, but actually turned out to be quite important. And one that I just think about a lot, which I don't know that got a Golden Fleece Award, but like, why do why do scientists spend so much time studying cephalopods, the like really cool sea creatures? And the amount of stuff that they can do in the military application in that for camouflage and a variety of other advanced materials that's come out of that is so valuable. But if you look at the grant, it's like, oh, why are we spending all this money studying cephalopods? Who cares? Um, right. <clears throat> so like I just like it comes down to people demagoguing other people in order to get political power for themselves. And that is what makes us not able to have nice things. The NTIA was clearly afraid of failure when they wrote their rules, clearly, because mm -hmm. they took the congressional rules and triple complicated them. So they, they, they want for safety. So, yeah, they're desperate of being, they're desperately afraid that, especially, I mean, you can imagine they're writing these rules. They don't know that in two years, it could be a Congress that is, you know, it could be 60% Republicans who are out for blood to try and find, right. you know, anything they can. And so they're, they're, they're really worried about having rules that will protect them and make sure that they're not funding things that could look terrible. Yep. It, it's very interesting because you talk about this first position and at Utopia, I, for those who don't understand our business model, we're an open access network. And a person gets a bill from Utopia, and then they get a bill from their ISP. Utopia is covering the infrastructure and the bond payment. One of the reasons we do this is because the bondholders, investors, want to be in first position to collect that money. There is some other marketing assets that we want them to understand, the customer to understand they're on an open access network, and they can change providers too. So we want to market under that Utopia brand. But one of the big reasons is because of that investors and whatnot can drive your business model to some degree if depending on how you're going to get your money nope absolutely you, you, you literally any i would someone told me years ago get a good cfo and i thought they were i thought they were it was bs get a good cfo that's yeah <laughs> yep that, that it's so important to navigate all this stuff well, and that was one of the things I was I wanted to interrupt with when you were asking the question to H. I think the um, you were saying how hard it is to deal with the banks, and I wanted to spell that out. I don't think it's not just a matter of like having to like spend time trying to figure out how to present things to them in their language. It's that they're calling you constantly. You have to. They're very high maintenance, right? Like you have to be on the line with them frequently, reassuring them. It's not even like once you get the loan, you can just walk away. They're still like going to be trying to making demands on your time is that how it works out uh no i would say it's the inverse if you're a growing company and you're a you're a large debt holder then you're going to be constantly working with the banks on subsequent asks 
you know, okay. we, you know, a company of our size probably has six or eight different amendments a year that just happen as you're as you're navigating through. Yeah, if you're just looking to get like a ten year term loan, you'll write they, that and you'll be done. They don't call you for ten years as long. Yeah, as you yeah, years, yeah, right. But if you're constantly growing, you know, I, I got to imagine in, in Kim's world, every opportunity they get, their CFO is going to be out, you know, securing the financing, et cetera, et cetera. And it, you got to do the presentation, kind of the road show, educate them, talk about the 50 million downside scenarios and ultimately 5G. So, you know, and how that's you know. <laughs> is that every one of those conversations goes down to 5G. 5G is still oh, on the right. Yeah, I don't know if y'all saw it, but AT&T's CEO recently talked about how fixed wireless on the 5G is not so great. So I've been sharing that article with people. I think it was a competitor. <laughs> yeah, we couldn't um, understand. I did not understand that because there's also an article this morning that says they're going to chase beep money. Yeah, I mean, you know, shock. They're incompetent. Um, well, you know, they should buy yeah. some HBO again or something. Well, how is episode 65 on your 5G service? Yeah, I mean, obviously, it barely worked. Um, yeah. it, it did for the most part. It got a stream out. We are going to be replacing that with a higher quality stream that was recorded on site. Um, but well, I knew I knew that... there was a problem with the five G when I thought Kim said something bad about Travis. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I knew it had to be the connection. It was the yeah, connection. Right? <laughs> well, no, I mean, but that's a real world example. If you go to a football game, if you go to a college <clears throat> football game like the University of Minnesota against whoever they're they're hopefully beating that day. Um, or the University of Maryland, you'll you'll see the the SPN crews have a person on a camera, and they have three people often working right. the wire surrounding them. There yeah, is a right. reason that they're using wires, despite the fact that it's super inconvenient with hundreds hundreds of people walking around and milling around. They don't want to pay those three people their costs to be do, managing all that wire if they didn't have to. No, I, it's I, I'm with you. Yeah, I did see that AT and T thing, and I think he's spot on, but. Uh... I don't know. I'll, I'll tell you what. Two thumbs up to Starling today, though. Again, yeah, you've uh, your pictures disappeared a couple of times. I yeah, you only just... you only cut out three times. Yeah. Well, that that was that was me eating some chicken wings. Sorry. Uh, yeah, um, the Starlink. <laughs> Starlink. I was still listening. <laughs> Starlink is making improvements, right? I mean, I saw a story about their uh, their new. They're deploying fewer, bigger satellites yeah. that have much greater capacity now, and then they're trying to prioritize those in the areas of the greater congestion. No, it, it has. I've been on it now full time for what two months. It's been amazing, absolutely amazing. But let's be clear, right? What we would expect to see moving forward is the same sort of thing. I feel like of like a leap forward to speed, and then gradually pulling it back, and then a leap forward, and then gradually pulling it back from congestion, and like that. That's like kind of pattern we'll be expecting to see forward moving forward. Well, right? well, but, but imagine, I mean, where I'm at, I'm in like Yuma, Arizona. Hell, heck, all the people here are in bed after the Wheel of Fortune. So you know what, at seven o'clock. <laughs> So, so, so of course it's going to work good. Take Why are you just on your parents' good connection? Because I'm proving out if this works or not. I've been trying to figure <laughs> out. There, there are times when it's not awesome, but for the most part, it's been better than any LTE solution we have available. Are you still in your parents' driveway? I am. Okay. Yeah. Well, sure. It's 80 and sunny here. What is it back in Minneapolis, Chris? Uh, I would say 35 and not sunny, getting a whole bunch more s wet snow right now, 33. There's no reason to go back. 
So if he, yeah, if he stays you, much said, longer, he's going to have to change his driver's license. Yeah, I sent yeah, Travis yeah. a note. Um, I sent Travis a note. I said he should come back because we're doing uh, in St. Paul now. We have a, a simulation of the moon. You go out at night with a car and uh, you just find all these craters you can drive down in. It's really exciting in our roads. <laughs> Um, so. <laughs> well, no, I, I read I read an article that they only they can only park on one side of the street now. There's so much snow there, so yeah, yeah. No, no it's I'll, a... I'll wait. I'll wait. Um, well, we're missing you. I gotta I gotta start um, taking money out of the bank so I don't have to make any explanations as to why I'm doing multiple large withdrawals when you come back and I'm buying wings all the time. So, so we're not doing triple for nothing. I mean, you, you've given up. Come on. I can't. I, yeah, I gotta give up. I can't. I can't put any more hope into this FCC. It's just, it's no, it's not happening. He opened up the show saying he's having a rough day. Give him another week. Yeah, I'm pretty yeah. beat down. Yeah. Um, yeah. I'm excited about um, other events we have coming up. I felt like Kim and I, um, and not only that, I mean, Angela and Autumn were terrific uh, on the show, but I feel like we have to talk a little bit about how to improve it. But I think doing another live show is well worth trying out and having some fun with. Cool. Kim? I'm all in. All right. Is Sharon going to come? Hey, yeah, my friend Sharon. Um, I don't even think she even knows what I do. Um, I brought a friend into the last show, and yeah, she... Uh, I think she thinks that I might work in a geeky field. She was like, are <laughs> wow, what a, how Kim's like, no, those are the idea. cool ones. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. Well, um, let's go back to Texas for Houston. <laughs> Chris, we're in Texas we, everywhere. We, we had some criticism of, um, of people that, that I like and respect who have said that, um, we've gone, uh, too far without um, uh, while we're not um, being be- well balanced regarding some of the benefits of wireless. And so um, in uh, two weeks, I, I hope we're going to have uh, Matt Larson back on as a, as a guest. Um, we'll talk more about some of the, the pros and cons of where wireless works well and doesn't. Um, Doug, I think one of your posts set him off. And then you had another post, um, which I suspect was written before even that first post had you'd gotten responses on it. In which, um, you know, I think people just ignore whenever you say good things about wireless and then they get mad at you and, and they only pick on the, about it. Yes, they only read the bad. And I wrote a blog that said, I think there's some ISPs who will beat fiber systems. And they, they didn't know, they, no one mentioned that. Yeah, no, yeah, I was going to say. <laughs> the second no thing I on. said was, there's some really lousy WISPs. And there are. Yeah. There's some very lousy fiber providers. There's some really, really lousy telephone companies. This is not news. Which yeah. kind of goes full circle back to our debt. If if the four of us were the bank, and we had poor operators out there, are you even going to write the loans? So, and and right. do they even know what a poor operator is? That's the banks answer. don't. Banks don't know. Yeah, yeah, they don't know. So, yeah. I mean, I was that was one thing. I'll just close the loop on. I think. Travis, which I assume one of the issues when you're going back to get more money, they're constantly afraid that you're having a bad day at the track and they're going to be funding it and not knowing it. I assume that's part of their due diligence, right? Yeah, but but co- covenants control how much capital you can with. So, you know, you might have so much money, but you can only take so much out based on your on your on your monthly financials. The the bigger question is, is every time there's a commercial on TV for some alternate Internet thing then that's when everyone starts getting it because b- banks are, are uh, it's all about the downside scenario. Right. And mm-hmm. are, are you going to get run over? And when you get to the size of utopia or us, we have the momentum and the history, but if you're a brand new entrant, you don't have that. They're just assuming the incumbent will do lower their price and you're out of business. 
Well, yeah, and I assume that also when they look at if they're doing some research on this and they come across Starry or Common in the Bay Area, some oh, of the ones yeah. that I've flagged recently, they're like, oh, those companies look like they were doing really well until they weren't. Yeah. Well, I think that's why you're seeing more partnerships because the banks want some security of a, a established ISP or operator that's been doing this for a while instead of the brand new startups because they don't understand um, the operational risks that are associated with these projects at all. Um, related to that also, I think something that I've heard, which I'd love to find ways of documenting without being as oblique as I'm about to be. I don't even think that's the right word, oblique, but um, um, I've heard that some of these um, private equity-owned networks are getting to the point where it's pretty clear they're not investing in new services. They're investing to bring on new customers, but as equipment is getting very old and serve it in areas that have been served for a while, so they say they bought an ISP. That ISP had a bunch of equipment that was going end of life last year, um, but it's already serving customers. They just will let that go end of life and just sit there and put all their money into getting new connections, but not serving the old. And so these networks are starting to have pretty poor performance in some cases from what I'm hearing. Which is what happens when you get investor bankers investing in broadband. That's just, that's, that's, that's as good of a description of the investor banking as Kim made a good description of bead. It's so you, they, all they're caring is about the valuation of the company and the valuation of the company increases by the amount of customers you have, not about the right. technology. Yeah. And so to tie that back together, as that happens, great business case for a well-run WISP to come in and, and focus on those areas. Probably plenty of customers to pick up, despite the fact that there's a fiber network in the area. Absolutely. So, yeah. I want to point out one last thing before we leave, because Travis cut out. But did you notice that she had a, that H had a banking federal government hat? Yes. I mean, you don't have one of those, Travis. I want to put yours mine's, plain. Uh, mine's blank. We'll yeah. give him a white pen. He can have one. Uh. <laughs> well, it's been wonderful. We are planning to come back in the tame in the in the tame time spot, <laughs> the same time slot, in two weeks. Where hopefully my head will be more clear, although my words may not be. Uh, we'll be back for another episode of Connect This. Mm-hmm.